So I think that's the biggest advantage is that we actually have a funded spaceport that has those geographical and socio-economical advantages that Chris pointed out, being both remote enough but central enough at the same time. Hey, Space Watchers, this is Space Cafe Radio, your channel about trends, great people and awesome events. How much do you know about the far north and space? And no, my question is not if you have seen all episodes of the Vikings or alike. It is really what do you know about that particular part of the world and its space ambitions? Why is the north important for space? What is Arctic broadband? Why do you see so many new spaceport initiatives high up? I talk about these questions with my guests from Innovation Norway, Simon Flack, Space Industry Coordinator at Innovation Norway, and with Chris Choa, founder of Outcomist, an urban planner and architect and contracted for the overall strategy of Andoya for the structural planning and the economical planning around the spaceport. We also will talk about the 4th of October event in Andoya, the date when the public will get an update on the spaceport development. I'm very excited about this episode. I'm Thorsten Kreening, publisher at Spacewatch.global, and this episode is supported by Innovation Norway. Buckle up, close your eyes, if you're not driving, envision northern lights, crisp air and silence. Enjoy listening. Norway seems to become a very serious player in the space domain, the Spaceport Norway series, This May, the first global conference on oceans and climate change. And always there is Innovation Norway around. But tell me, what is Innovation Norway? What is your mandate and how is that related to the space sector? Well, Innovation Norway is the Norwegian government's tool for industry development and trade and investment promotion. So we both have a mandate to be the government's development bank which we give out loans and grants to startups and SMEs and even larger companies. But we're also the government's official trade and investment promotion agency. So we spend a lot of time trying to develop new markets or finding companies that potentially could establish themselves here in Norway. So in space is one of these markets? Space is, as you know, is the new space market and a new space economy is growing. And we see that Norway has some unique value propositions, which I gather we'll get into a little bit later. So Norway is becoming a more attractive destination for companies to establish themselves. Like we have ISA Aerospace that I gather we'll talk a little bit more about later. But we also see that there are new markets opening up, new countries like Australia, New Zealand, South Korea, Japan, India, the, the UAE. So this, so Norway's existing market is primarily Europe through the European Space Agency and the EU space programs. But now space is becoming much more of a global market. And as the trade promotion agency of the country, we're helping Norwegian industry sort of break into those markets. And there is Andoya Spaceport as a spaceport of the future. So why is that relevant for Norway if you could do anything else? And why and how did the government invest? On the morning of the 4th of September, we published a great news piece about Andoya starting its sales operations in the US. Put us into context for us, please. Norway has the unique sort of geographical value proposition that we're sort of located in such a way and our borders are sort of aligned in such a way that you can actually launch from Andoyer into sun stationary and polar orbits without crossing foreign borders before reaching space. And then we also have the advantage being so far north that we sort of avoid the commercial flight traffic and a lot of the shipping traffic that is sort of limits launch further south in Europe. 
So the spaceport was identified, I think, by NASA back in the 60s as a location to launch sounding rockets uh, and also future orbital rockets. But it hasn't been until now that the sort of new space economy and this micro-launcher economy has sort of created the environment for that investment. Endo Space is a government-owned company. They're 90% owned by the Department of Trade and had been working on an orbital space launch facility for quite some time. And eventually, as sort of the the market developed, the national government agreed to sort of finance this on the state budget so through an investment. So the Department of Trade has actually done an equity investment into Andoya, which has then given the basis for further financing. So I think the total financing is around a billion Norwegian krona. I didn't know that Andoya is in operation since the plan since the 60s one. Yeah, it's actually the second most important sounding rocket range for NASA. So I think they launched their first rocket in the 64, I think it was, or 60, yes, around that. It's been, uh, and there's a lot of activity. So now they launch for NASA and JAXA and uh, ESA and yeah, quite, quite a lot of organizations launch their sounding rockets from there. We hear a lot about spaceports in Europe. I mean, they're popping up all over the place or many of them are in the north for the reasons you just mentioned or on island. So what differentiates Andoya spaceport from others? Well, as Simon said, because of its very, very high northern latitude, it's ideal for sun-synchronous and polar or orbit launches. Uh, there are very, very few obstacles downrange. It's water. We don't overfly other other territories. We don't have the danger of dropping anything on anybody else. So it's quite isolated, but not that isolated. And that's the sweet spot. You know, ideally, you want to be far from a very, very large urban center, but not so far that it's not attractive to the whole group of people who might otherwise be part of the industrial cluster. Because remember, there's not just the launch, there's the logistics, there's testing, there's operations, there may be other secondary and tertiary research operations and economic operations. And all of these want to attract people and the people want to live very, very near where they work. And so this ideal combination of remoteness, but not too remote, the right kind of population, the right kind of demographic background, it's a really ideal place. And what we're trying to do here is focus, at least from our side with the regional plan, not just on the technical launch activities themselves, but the whole host of economic activities that can then create economic benefits for the region, for the nation, and other parts of Europe. Interesting. Mm. Simon, do you want to chime yeah, in Yeah, I think here? I can add a little bit on the financing side. So mm. like, we know that a lot of these spaceports in Europe are privately financed. Unfortunately, the global economy isn't in a good place right now, and it doesn't look to be getting any better anytime soon. The advantage we have there is that the spaceport is already funded. The government has gone in with the equity and there is the basis for the financing. Pad A is complete and will soon be taken over officially by ISA Aerospace, which they hope to launch potentially at the end of this year. We'll see how, how that goes. So I think that's the biggest advantage is that we actually have a funded spaceport that has those geographical and socio-economical advantages that Chris pointed out, being both remote enough, but central enough at the same time. You mentioned ISA Aerospace. They announced, you just mentioned end of the year, their maiden flight, at least from Andoya. How is their engagement? Is it just for this one flight or are they planning for regular flights? So what is the setup? So how far can you talk about that? Yeah, so ISA Aerospace has signed a 20-year lease on, on Pad A. And the, and the assembly hall. 
So that's an exclusive license on that pad. So they, they control that pad as if it was their own. The spaceport itself has been licensed for 30 launches a year. And ISA will probably use about 15 of those. I think they're actually contractually obligated to launch up to around 15 times a year for that exclusivity. They're planning quite quite some heavy cadence. That's interesting. So let it fly. Yeah. Most important question is, after all, are you ready to launch? I mean, in terms of building the structure, the security, the regulation. Well, again, as we were talking about, there are operations that are strictly connected to the launch and launch activities themselves. Simon can talk a little bit more to that. And I would say the answer to that is they've been in preparation for several years. There's quite a bit of construction underway and all that is going very, very well. In addition to all of that are the the elements that will actually make this an economic positive for the whole region. And that actually goes beyond the space technology. It'll be the tourism frameworks, the commercial. If you have people coming to to watch launches, where will they stay? Where will they eat? How will they travel there? And we have some extraordinary advantages. We have an airbase and regularly scheduled flights that are right to Andrea. We have a position on a tourism network that's already quite attractive. And we have a lot of people who are actually interested in both the technical side of the launching and also, say, the softer economic side of all the other industries. Some of them have very little to do with launch themselves, but they directly support each other. So that reciprocity is also very, very interesting. And on the regulatory side, I think Norway was actually one of the first countries, if not the first, to have a space law in Europe. We had a few sentences that sort of regulated spaceflight, and we're currently putting together a more complete space law. But the spaceport is approved on the basis of existing space law and an upcoming dialogue with the new one. And it's approved for, like I said, 30 launches a year. Yeah, so ISA is also then having, us, of course, to certify their launch vehicle. And I think that's a two, three to four test launches they have to sort of get mm-hmm. through before they're commercially licensed. But all that is sort of on, on track. Currently, they're waiting for their the Department of Safety and Security to approve fueling infrastructure and that sort of permitting and make sure all that gets on gets done, but it's mainly paperwork. Infrastructure-wise, they've been building on the site for a long time. So the pad A is complete as far as like the, the stone filling and the concrete and access road and the IAT hall and the fiber optic cables and the launch control center and all that is in place and will be inaugurated, I think, on the 2nd of November by the Crown Prince. So we actually have an operational pad very, very soon that is ready to go. If ISA Aerospace is ready to stack their rocket, then I think it will be all systems go <laughs> for uh, in the very near future. It's good to know also that your space law included private space launches because that is what we find out many of the countries with or without a space law is struggling a bit, the yeah. commercial component, because space in the 60s or 70s was not supposed to be a private endeavor, as we all know. I think we're very lucky there. But the space law wasn't so detailed. So it was sort of focused around the activities on day, and it was basically like you can launch as long as you do it safely. And okay, keep it easy, yeah. Yes, keep it easy. And Norway also was very rapid to actually establish the space regulatory agency. So at the Civil Aviation Authority, there is now a space authority. And the authority for launch has been moved from the Norwegian Space Agency to the Space Authority. 
So from now on, they'll have the authority for launch and, and activities in space. Interesting. So there will be an event, if I'm not mistaken, on the 4th of October about the status uptake to a wider public. So, and we are just doing a glimpse of that, I suppose. What can we expect on that day? Well, the whole team has been on a very long journey, actually, in terms of planning terms. We've been at this probably for about a year and a half. And it started, as Simon can remember, with just a tiny kernel of a discussion about what we could do on Andrea itself. And we brought on board this extraordinary team, including Arup, which is a, an internationally known infrastructure company, specialist tourist company. We have infrastructure, economic experts. And the journey that we've been on has been fascinating for me personally, because it started so closely allied around the territory, around the launch pad itself, the launch activities. And we started to realize that this is a much bigger idea. It's not just about the development that we would do on the island or even just in the county. It had implications for the whole nation. And there are many times when people can come together with ideas for economic projects. There are ways that we can make spatial plans. But for the first time, I think we have a spatial plan that also locates projects, not only for Andrea, but also for the whole nation. And on the 4th, we're going to be explaining this vision, and we'll also be showing specific ideas that would be possible right near the airbase, for example, or infrastructure improvements that will catalyze the whole operation. But I think more than anything else, Torsten, what the 4th of October represents is the consensus that we have built over a year and a half. Because it's not just all the deep, bright imaginings of a very technical team. There are hundreds and hundreds of conversations that we've had with individuals and with groups. And this is a really the chance that we have to represent all of that so that people can see the evidence of that discussion, the evidence of that consensus that all points to this kind of once-in-a-generation inflection point where technology around space launch can come together with the economic potential for a whole nation around a whole host of issues. So that's really what we're expecting on the 4th, a series of presentations, some discussions, and then internalized discussions with politicians about next steps. I'm looking yeah. forward to that without any doubt. Simon, anything you want to add? Chris actually summarized it quite well. It's all about consensus. So that was sort of what really motivated Innovation Norway to look at this. We are mandated by the federal government to work with what we call regional development. And we see that from other industries, whether it's the battery value chain or whether it's data centers or whether it's offshore wind, that stakeholder consensus is extremely important. Without that, yeah, foreign investors aren't willing to invest in the country. Without that, government stakeholders don't pass policy. And on Andrea, you have a multitude of government levels that all have to agree. Like you have local planning authorities that have to sort of make sure that there is enough housing or there is enough industrial area available. We have a regional government that is responsible for some of the major road networks and the port infrastructure, the tourism. We have the federal government, which is then responsible for The, an area of the airfield which we want to actually allocate and rezone for industrial uses. So in getting all of these stakeholders to, to see a common vision and make sure that we keep a good enough also cadence of decision making so that when we get sort of to this launch date that we actually have a spaceport that is viable for growth and not just for companies coming in launching their rockets and going home. 
I know that's hard to ask an American and an Australian now about how Norway perceiving space for them. So what is the feedback you get from the normal Norwegian on the street when you're around or from your friends? Are they keen for space or do they say, oh yeah, come on, toys for boys? Well, I would say that Norwegians have a cultural thing we call janteloven, which is this sort of, you're not meant to boast. And Norway doesn't really boast about this history of space going back to the 60s. So many Norwegians, even when I have contact sort of news channels or, or politicians, don't actually know that Norway has a thriving space industry. They don't know that, for example, KSAT is the world's leading satellite ground infrastructure. So when we start talking about space ports and space launch, it's a big jump from if, when they don't know that it actually is quite viable already. When they do learn about it, they get very excited. Space is a very attractive for everybody, from, from small children to adults. And so once they actually learn that Norway actually has a solid value proposition, people get very excited and things have moved quite fast. But again, it's the process that Chris has run for us that has allowed these stakeholders to become educated and then sort of make decisions and get involved. I would add as a, not only an American, but as a New Yorker, the concept of Janteloven was quite alien to me because as you probably know, New Yorkers will boast about capability before anything actually is there. Here, we have exactly the opposite. We have a real capability. We have a, an extraordinary geography. We have amazing people, and not only that, allied industries that are reciprocating and mutually supportive. But this is an inflection point. And for this to be very meaningful for Norway, it will become a gateway for Europe and the whole world into polar orbits. But it's something that the Norwegians themselves have to embrace and have to support. And the modesty that comes from understanding you have great capability is very attractive. But the modesty also has to be backed with real capability. And the capability has to be supported by a wide range of people for it to actually bear fruit. So we think the October 4th presentations are very important. And this is only just the beginning of all the allied economic activity that will grow up around a space launch. So we're looking forward to it very much. That's a perfect lead into my last question. So let's take out our crystal ball, the visionary cap. Can you further elaborate on the entire infrastructure of Andoya Spaceport? What is the long-term vision? Where you want to go? I can start and Chris can probably talk about this for, for days. What we envision is sort of an industrial cluster located on Andaya, but not just limited to Andaya. So Andaya becoming the hub in sort of Norway, sort of new space economy. The country is quite geographically long and spread out, but we have multiple organizations and institutions that work with space. So whether that's companies or universities or clusters, research groups, And all of those can sort of link into to Andoya. And, and sort of a part of this master plan has been deciding how much of that value chain do you need to have on Andoya? How much of that value chain can you have in the region sort of in close proximity to Andoya? And how much of that sort of can be quite distanced from Andoya and maybe even in another country? The vision we see is sort of like a mini Cape Canaveral, a place where It's both a tourism destination, where both for sort of hobby tourism and also professional tourism. So where companies or universities can come to learn more about space, where schools can take day trips or space camps, a place where companies that are, are sort of 
closely associated with launch, whether that be testing or whether it be manufacture or integration of satellites or ground, can locate themselves close and sort of build off the synergies from being in an industry cluster. So that's sort of where we see it going. The island used to have around 8,000 people on it before the Air Force and sort of moved out. So there's a capability for the island to actually host a lot more people than it currently does. And sort of seeing that grow and using this, using space as sort of the basis of that growth is sort of what we see. Yeah, so just think about the implications for research and development. You have all the uh, educational institutions, many of which are not located on under, or for that matter, even in Norway, but will be basically funneled through this capability of launch mm-hmm. in Andria. The transport and delivery is a huge economic sector with spillover effects and multipliers. So if you have more airlift capability, which is already there, if you improve delivery by barges, it, it generates all sorts of secondary and tertiary economic benefits. The testing, the assembly, if you have a place that's very, very attractive for OEMs to get very, very close to the activity. They can locate some things in Andria, but they can also locate some things in in neighboring cities, all tied together to Andria. So the multiplier effects of these are very, very strong. So we're really looking forward to that as well. Are you planning to have human space flights also from there, or is that not in the long-term vision, or you can't talk about that? It's not currently in the short-term vision. I have had discussions with the space agency about this. And it's a long way off. In Norway's primary focus is low Earth orbit and sort of MEO and those kind of orbits. Mainly, a lot of it is defense-based, sort of the intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance focus. And that's with also working with our allies. Human spaceflight, I guess, potentially. I know there's been proposed polar low-Earth orbit space stations for various reasons. It it potentially could be something that Norway looks into. But heavy launch, heavy lift from Norway is currently not licensed. If we built a pad further out into the ocean, where there's a rock shelf where the original pads were meant to be built, potentially the security zone might be large enough to facilitate heavy launch. That would be something that we'd we'd have to look into based on the market demand and things like that. And if Elon Musk establishes himself in Europe. or There's a lot of things that could happen yeah. before Norway starts launching people into space. So one step after the other. Thank you very much, both of you, uh, for this exciting interview. I'm looking forward to the 4th of October, and anyone who can't participate can join a stream. Thank you very much. Thank you, Torsten. Thank you. If you have further questions, reach out to us at radio at spacewatch.global. If you like these or other episodes of Space Cafe Radio, leave us a rating on your preferred podcast platform. It is the currency of today. And if you want to stay on the pulse of the space industry, please visit our website at www.spacewatch.global and subscribe to our newsletters. And of course, don't forget to become a Space Watcher. I'm Torsten Kreening, publisher at spacewatch.global your independent perspective on space.